Hey everybody, my name is Alex and this is Lunchbox Radio. So before we get dive right into what we're talking about today, I wanted to cur- encourage everybody to go listen to the last episode on the feed, which is um, Gate. There should also actually be a Monday episode that came out like in the middle of the day, but I may have misscheduled that, so I will check that out later. And if it didn't come out, then it will come out at some point. But it's basically going over what I am watching this season. Um, so go check out that little bonus mini-sode. It's about eight minutes long. Um, you should be able to find it in the feed, if not right now, pretty soon. But on that note, I want to jump right into what we're talking about today. And that's a new show. a new, And it's not a little show. It's a big deal show. On HBO Max of the live action variety, and that's a show called Tokyo Vice. You wish to be a crime reporter in Japan. Why? You think because you're a foreigner. Those are different. Oh, yeah! Oh, yeah! Get it in! You like busting my balls, huh? It is the great joy of my life. Giving up and going home is not an option. You know what I mean? And let me guess, this is how you recruit a cop. Now, for mo- those of you who are not aware of what Tokyo Vice is, it is the memoir of and it's a memoir slash life insurance plan for. And I'll get to what that means in a second. For the first foreign reporter in the TMPD press pool, and what the TMPD press pool is, it's the press junket pool for the Tokyo Metropolitan Police Department. And what's so unique about this story is that Jake Adelstein, who was who was the who was and is the first foreign reporter in the press in allowed into the press pool for the police department of Tokyo is Still alive and kicking. He's kind of a great follow on Twitter. But he was Tokyo's first like foreign reporter to report on crime in Tokyo for Tokyo it, way back in the 90s. And what's so interesting about this... What's so interesting about Tokyo Vice as a thing is that it has gone through many iterations. The original iteration is 
the book that was published back in 2009 um, by, I've got the Wikipedia page up here. Um, I don't, by, by, ran, by Random House and, and Fathom Books. But the reason why the book was written is really not in dispute. It's not just a memoir. It's a kind of accounting of events so that Jake isn't hunted down by Yakuza thugs and killed in the night. I'm not kidding. It, he wrote this book as a kind of policy to say to the world, if I show up dead in a ditch, this is who did it. And this is why. And so that gives it a really kind of cool crime drama angle to the story. And the story I told in the book is a great story. It's a story of somebody trying to make it in, like, the to at the first foreign reporter in the Tokyo Metropolitan Police Department's press pool. And it's the story of him doing a kind of investigative journalism that probably even to this day, I'm not super sure, in Tokyo, is not done a whole lot for a bunch of reasons. So, we have, the free, we have free press by way of freedom of speech in America. In other countries, that's just not true. You can say kind of whatever you want in most countries, but you should be wary of what you say. And there are different laws about different kinds of speech in all over the world. A perfect example. In Japan, uncensored pornography is illegal. Here, it's legal explicitly because of freedom of speech. But there, it's deemed indecent, so it's all censored. Um... And actually, hilariously, I forget the um, I forget the name of the Netflix show, but there's a Netflix show all about that whole deal back in like the mid to late seventies kind of deal. And one of the things that the Tokyo Vice show adds to in the case of the setting of Tokyo is it gives you it gives you this. This not this glimpse of Tokyo in the '90s, in a way that that it, that is means you can follow the city of Tokyo kind of chronologically in film from like the '40s all the way to the '90s as like its representation in in film and more importantly in TV. Um, but the problem with Tokyo Vice is that it was it was and it still is a great book with a lot of things in it that you won't get in the show proper from um from HBO and I think this is for, for two reasons I think that people are wary of making independent shows that are not in a mold of other shows, of, of something that exists. So, take something like, um, take something like, let's say, One Tree Hill. One Tree Hill is a stupid teenage soap opera show that is in the vein of things like, um, Dawson's Creek or, um, What's the other one with Marissa and um, what's this and Ryan and um, but you get my point. They they're all kind they all kind of blur together at some point, and none of them really matter. And they're still making shows like that constantly. They go on ABC Family <laughs> a lot. Um, but the idea is that by making something that's like something that people know, you have a built-in audience and you're guaranteeing a certain amount of people to show up and watch it. When I tell you that the... show that is Tokyo Vice is not the book. I am not kidding. 
it is the, it, it's the same conceptual basis as the book. Maybe the, it maybe has the same spirit as the book, but it's not the book. And it's not the book for a bunch of different reasons. It's not the book because they have eliminated Jake's family entirely from the from the book. In in the book, if you want only watching the show, in the book, Jake is like married for a large for most of the book. And Jake has a kid at one point. And so the book does a better job of filling out Jake's life as like a, having lived a full life and like yes he's a dogged you know, investigative journalist but he also you know like hangs out with friends has a wife you know has a wife who he struggled with having a girlfriend as a as a girlfriend for a section of the book before they got married and he he uses that stuff in the book to kind of show you how he's progressing as a person along the way of this story. They've also, for a reason that I believe is clear if you read the book, changed a lot of the names of the characters in the, in the 2022 adaptation. Um, so, for example, um, the character character Ken Watanabe plays is actually the character of Sekiyuchi, who's a, like, a dogged, like, once again, a dogged, um, police detective in the book, and he, he's every, he's everything that the character of, um, of Detective Kazaragi is in the show, but he just has, has a different name, and they've changed various people's names throughout the they've changed various characters names and their placement throughout the show and one of the reasons why i bet they probably changed certain characters names is to further protect them because in the in the book jake very clearly says at one point at one point early in the book like i've changed everybody's names because I'm not the only person who would be in danger of harm here. I'm not the only person who has a family and all of this stuff. And my guess is, based on the characters whose names they've changed, he may have either requested or they took the book or they took the project on knowing, hey, this is like, we got to be careful here. We got to make sure that like we make more effort to remove the original characters from even their first aliases. So you just have a hard time tracking people the fuck down. And kind of the way you can tell this is the two characters whose names are intact are the characters of Paulina, who is a sex worker who ultimately dies, I believe, in the books. And Samantha, who is also a sex worker who dies in the books. In, in, in the book. And so those characters are straight up, they, those real people are no longer alive anymore. And he, you know, he still anonymized them using, um using fake names for them in the books or pseudonyms for them in the books to like protect their families from knowing what they did and all this other stuff. Um, but they can use those pseudonyms here because it doesn't matter if Yakuza figured that shit out. It's fine. They're already dead, which sounds callous, but it's like a true fact of just the, the pieces that they're playing with here. We also, so in addition to um, Jake Alstein, who's played by Ansel Elgort, who if you're wondering who that is, he was in Baby Driver. He was also in the most recent West Side Story. He was in um, kind of the thing that like put him on the map almost. Actually, probably not. Is um, he, played, he played Augustus Waters in The Fault in Our Stars, um, which is like, that's like the big boom headlining thing that he's done lately um but 
also joined by Ken Watanabe, who's just eating it up in this thing. He's great. And then there's Rinko Kikuchi, who plays um, Jake's uh, senior, who plays Jake's editor, essentially, and is like a tough but supportive, um, you know, boss for him. And like I said, this this show is not the book. And I think that the show is weaker for that. And I think that it gains this, like, Tokyo tourism aspect that is not great. And But I think the thing that it gains, the reason why it gains that is, and I know TV and movies tend to do this a lot. There are characters in, like, a book or a, in, like, a book or even something like a video game who you encounter only for a brief period of time, and they build your understanding of the world, but they don't do much plot-wise. And they have that a character like that in the original book. I forget the character's name, but he's a... But he's called the cat in the book, and he's this old gangster and they do this plot they do this plot point in the in the film in the um tv adaptation as well but it's like it's slightly less it's less detached from the main story than the book than the book makes it in the in the book the character of the cat is this like Oyabun, or, like, kind of, like, senior Yakuza member, who Jake gives some information to, and that ends up saving that guy's life. And the, and the cat, after having this long, very informative conversation about how he can't be anything other than a gangster anymore, and, like, showing Jake how much of his body is tattooed and how and explaining to him what that means if he were to ever go get a real job which means he basically can't which is still a true thing in society in Japan um he says listen you saved my life and I will never forget that if you need women if you need drugs if you need anything and I mean anything. I got you. And Jake makes a point of saying later, like, I've been kept, like, I've seen him a bunch of other times. And he always, I never do anything with any of the women. But he always sends me off with, like, a hooker or something. It's like, don't let him out of your sight unless he, like, pushes you off him. And this is... That version of that relationship is probably the more true version of that relationship. It's probably a man who has been a gangster for his entire life and knows what it means to have his life saved and knows how valuable that is. I would not use that as like a in with this person. But in the in the in the live action adaptation, you have um, you have Ken Watanabe's characters say to Jake, warn Jake, just before he says, "Look, you're going to want, he's going to offer you a favor. Don't take it, because as soon as you cash that favor in, you will owe him, and you will be on the hook." And that's a pretty American pretty film understanding of a gangster and of criminality and of organized crime especially for good reason most likely but it's not necessarily a good understanding of like person-to-person relationships and of genuine relationships in a way that um jake portrayed it in the book. But 
They write that story in eventually, but that group ends up being involved in kind of the main plot of the of this thing. So in the book, in the book, the thing that Jake is investigating is this kind of rampant sex trafficking and killing of sex workers all throughout Tokyo. And in specific, in the Kabuchicho, like, section of Tokyo, which is really Tokyo's equivalent of a red light district. And that ends up spiraling down and down and down and down and down until we get to the bottom of it. And the person at the center of it is a really powerful, um, is a really powerful gangster named, named Gokudo. And Gokudo threatens to kill him. And eventually Jake moves, straight up moves out of the country for his, for his and his own family's protection to like, um, I think Missouri. Back, he moved back to Missouri. I think he actually is from Missouri. He might not even be from Missouri if I think about it. Um, which is another thing that would have changed for, you know, protection of people. Um, but in this in this adaptation, the thing that Jake ends up investigating is, by the way, spoiler alerts for this whole show, obviously, is this plot to get innocent, to get innocent Japanese, de desperate Japanese people to sign up for a loan that is also a life insurance plan taken out on them with the Yakuza as the beneficiary. And then what the Yakuza do is they guilt them, guilt them, guilt them, guilt them, guilt them, threaten them, threaten them, threaten them, threaten their family, threaten everything in their lives until they kill themselves. And then the life insurance pays out to the Yakuza. So they, they, and they say this in the show, They've essentially, the Yakuza have essentially found a way to monetize suicide. And the reason why this was going pretty, the reason why this was going pretty, and you would have to know this about Japan, they, they, they straight up give you, they straight up like, don't bury the lead on this too, which is actually important. The reason why this hasn't gone when it's gone unnoticed, because Japan actually has one of the highest suicide rates in the world. Uh, among students, but like among everybody, just because of its work culture, because of its money culture, for a whole bunch, because of its culture around honor, um, for a whole bunch of reasons, basically. It has one of the highest suicide rates in the world. And when Jake stumbles on this, you kind of realize this is the thing. This is this is the thing that leads to the Yakuza meeting scene in the beginning. Now I want to talk about what I kind of love about this show and what the reason why I kind of ate all five episodes up as soon as they were out. Um there there will be more episodes. I'm doing this because I think it's an interesting thing and I want to talk about it in the moment. But um the first episode is directed by Michael Mann. And the second episode is directed by the same director who directed, um, I believe, Shang-Chi. And the thing that Michael Mann brings initially and the director of Shang-Chi brings afterwards with all the other episodes is this... Um, it's this, it's a great visual style that while not indicative of what would be true of Tokyo or Japan necessarily is, gets it, gets enough right where you wouldn't notice what's wrong. So something, something that's a key thing that's wrong is there's a moment when Jake has to take the um, exam for they're standing for the Yamanori Shimbun, which is Japan's biggest newspaper. 
They also own the Yamanori Giants, but they don't get into that kind of like tendrils of Japanese company thing in this show. At least not yet. But they show him in the test and everybody in the test is wearing a black suit. So if you know anything about Japan, and actually there's a little true of America too, you don't generally wear a black suit unless you're doing crime, unless you're in like a crime family or you're going to a funeral. Like a black suit is a very specific, especially in Japan, a very specific thing you buy for a specific event or you just do crimes. Like that's, that's just the way it goes. Um, and that is a little true in America, although America is so freewheeling that you know, anybody can wear black, all, all black anything, like I am actually right now, and nobody assumes anything of it, much more than they, oh, they, I bet they were emo when they were a kid, which, you're a little right about me on that. But, the long and short of it is, is that, it, the stuff that you, the stuff that you would notice that it's visually wrong with this, does not stand out so hard, that it bothers you and oftentimes those choices are made because they're looking to achieve something visually in the shot and this thing is shot really well there is one there's one like awkward scene well i'm not quite sure why they put it in there um but even it was a good looking scene for what it was it was a scene of um Ken Watanabe's character putting his kids down to bed, and you're like, why is this in here? They'd never go back to it, ever. But, um... So you have Ansel Elgort playing Jake Adelstein, and you have him struggling against this system that does exist in Japan of when a crime happens, it's not like reporters go... Reporters do go to the crime scene, but they're given very little. As they are in, um... In America, obvious for obvious reasons, but what's written up in newspapers is so tightly controlled that you, because actually interestingly, of libel laws in Japan, um, that is like limited to just straight facts, just straight facts. There's very little embellishment or very little inference or investigation without absolute proof that goes into a newspaper article. And also, in the same way that articles here have limited space, articles all over the world have limited space. So, like, you only get into motors if you have room, and trust me, there is not room. There, The difference is, there's almost never room. And... Rinko Kikuchi played the, like, the hard boss who cracks the whip, but she also played the boss who, like, when presented with something with as more questions than answers that connect with questions, she is shown as being like, wait, why, why would the Yakuza just stab some fucking dude on the street? That makes no sense. And, like, that has something to do with all these people setting their self, themselves on fire. And that, like, spurs her into looking in deeper into what the fuck's happening. Um, but when it's just presented as, like, there has to be something there, she's not encouraged to give Jake the, like, enough rope to hang himself for obvious reasons. But one of the things that was not... That was not quite on display in the books. That's very much on display in this show. Is something that most people don't super realize about Japan. Actually, most people probably do realize about Japan. Especially most people re listening to this right now. And that is... Japan's awfully xenophobic. And that includes... Other East Asian countries, Japanese people do not take kindly to Chinese people, and Japanese people do not take kindly to 
Korean people, especially Korean people. I mean, there's a lot of tension over decades and generations between Korean people and Japanese people and Chinese people. Between all three of those East Asian ethnicities. This show highlights the kind of like second class citizenry that Korean people in Japan, in many cases, oftentimes share with black people in America. And with a kind of clear division there that is that is kind of forgotten by society. And there's a scene in which Rinko Kikuchi's character, who is her character is supposed to be um, half China, half half Korean, speaks with a Korean widow of one of the victims of these um, of these like purposeful suicides, I'm gonna call them. And Jake's like, I didn't know you were Korean. And she's like, I'm half on my mother's side. And she takes him through it. And she's like, I don't tell people because you see how racist they are to you. And this show makes a really big point. And the book also makes a pretty big point. And a key scene that they don't have in this show that would be an interesting thing to see in the show. But I know they're not going to do it. In the book, there's a scene where Jake goes into the immigration office in the Japanese in the, in in Tokyo, and he says, "Like, I'm a reporter of the Yamanori Shimbun. I would like a visa, like a a work visa for like a decade, <laughs> or for whatever the maximum time is." And the First, the like bureaucrat who he's talking to in this tiny room is like, "There's no way you are. There's no way you fucking are. Bullshit." Think like a gaijin like you. With gaijin specifically means outsider, and is used exclusively for foreigners who are not supposed to be there. And. It, it's it's essentially a slur that means foreigner, but they'll no way that no way they'd let a gaijin like you work there. There's no way they employ you. And after like after Jake convinces this dude to in in the book to let him call his supervisor, his supervisor shows up. His supervisor in the book is a man shows up in the immigration office and throws his weight around is like, fuck you. He's my employee. Go fuck yourself. And this like beaten down bureaucrat leaves the room and shows back up with like his hand, his head, but with like his head, with like his head down and like, just like a visa with no end date and hands it to Jake. And is like, I'm, I'm very sorry. I was not aware of your position. They just, like, leave. And Jake makes a point being like, I never had to deal with that kind of bullshit, really, again. Um, but in, in the show, they make sure that that kind of, like, rampant bigotry towards foreigners and towards Westerners and towards Americans is pretty pervasive. With the exception of one character who's Who's a character who they added in the show who I think improves the show. And it's this character named, I think his name is Sato. And Sato is this, like, low, it's this, like, mid-level gangster. Like, he he gotten out of his tracksuit days and, like, he got a decent-sized tattoo, but, and he wears a suit, but he's not, like, top-shelf fucking pinky missing because he fucked up once but he still gets to be alive um doing thing so Sato is Japanese gangster and to be clear it's like the peak of the 90s it's like 1997 
96, 97 kind of area of the 90s. And Sato is very into the Backstreet Boys. And so is Jake. And when those characters meet, they have this hilarious, like, bonding moment over American culture, over, like, American culture, Japanese culture, you know, hip, like, 90s, like, street fashion, and the Backstreet Boys, and all this other shit. And it leads to this funny gag where Jake is asking everybody, like, what is, what is the, what is the song I Want It That Way mean? And just, like, all the Japanese people think it's about something that it's not. Mainly sex bullshit. Um, but it's, it, it becomes this, it becomes this moment, the Sato Jake, like, bromance moment becomes kind of an extended version of what, um, of what the, of what the character of the cat was in the book, in the book. And the way that they talk, the, the way that they show those two and the way they, the way they style Sato and the way they show Sato with Jake is a very intentional, very key. Like he has his feet, a foot in both, in both worlds and seems to be very aware of it. And the show goes on and it, does it does some pretty interesting things with Sato, but it does a kind of like investigative law journalistic lost soul thing with Jake that did not seem as pronounced to me in the book. So in the books, Jake moved to Japan. Not because he was an otaku weirdo, though he does, like, mention that. He's like, I didn't move here like lots of people did because I was super into anime. I moved here because I was actually interested in being a Buddhist monk. But I couldn't do it. Like, he, he straight up says, like, I couldn't do it. So I used the remainder of my, like, tourist visa time to, which I think is like six months, to study for and pass like a Japanese like the highest Japanese language test and also study for and pass the Yamanori Shinbun entrance exam like employee entrance exam which is it's not uncommon in Japanese companies to have to take an exam to get to be able to apply to um jobs and actually in America in, in the creative field, you encounter tests like that fairly often. The difference with those tests is they are bullshit. Because in creative jobs, there's nine ways to do everything. And every, and every way is right. And every way is also wrong. So you just have to like play pick the way and hope you're right. And usually you're not fucking right. Oh, hey, usually you're not right. But you can, like, guesstimate the way they want you to do whatever they're asking based on the way the question is worded and the kind of place you're sitting in taking the test. And it's, it's a lot of bullshit. I, when I was working as a creative, I had a policy of, like, oh, you want me to take a Photoshop test? Fuck you, no. <laughs> but this is a, it's a different thing, especially for a newspaper and it's a written language test and all this other stuff. And in the book, he's very purposeful. He feels very purposeful. But he also feels like it also feels like he was a writer because that was the thing he could do. And he felt he wanted to live in Tokyo. Like he came to Tokyo and kind of fell in love with it. Which is a thing that happens to a lot of people. Um, they go to a city and they're like, this is like where my, where my soul belongs. Um, but 
Um, you hear that actually commonly about Paris, of all places. Um, but the show makes him out to be this, like, kid from a slightly fucked up, but not more, not any more fucked up than any, any other family's home, home. And, like, he's determined to make it as a journalist in Tokyo. In... But he's also determined to make it the American way. In the book, he's very he becomes very he quickly becomes very aware of like his place in the pecking order, his place in like the press's place in um in the grand scheme of the media of what the press does in to in Japan versus what the press does in say America. And he learns those lessons pretty quickly. This this show has the problem that things in other countries have when they're produced by American production like team is that they have a very American sensibility towards things that are just treated differently. Like freedom of the press in this one's case. And it's... It's not that it's any, it's not that it's really any better or worse. It's just, it's this understanding of, oh, this is what it is. This is what the deal is here. And the deal with the way that the TMPD gives things to the press is just, it's just the way it is. It's just the way it has to be. And it's, a, it's, a, it's one of the ways that everybody involved believes order is maintained in Tokyo. And you find out later that it's also one of the ways that like all the like shit underneath Tokyo stays cool with everybody else. So I'm going to branch off here. Um, there was a moment when I think the governor of Tokyo recently stepped down. And there was about to be, the, or, or the mayor of Tokyo stepped down or something. And there was about to be a election, a like free and fair fucking election. And what you saw was, was probably not surprising if you knew anything about Tokyo. But what's surprising to a lot of other people is that they were just, like, full on, like, not hiding that much. Yakuza members running for mayor of the city. <laughs> it went, like, I don't think one, one didn't win. I think the same guy won, actually. But, um, or so somebody fairly inoffensive considering one but that was kind of a like outward look at oh they got like crime families in Tokyo and they will fuck shit up at the first possible abil availability so if you give them an opportunity to they will so they the police and they show this in in a lot of detail in the show, and they and they also like talk about it and like bring up how it works in the show as well. And this is true based on the book as well. Is that the police don't so much as like harass or police the yakuza as they do cooperate them, cooperate with them, and the two sides cooperate with each other. If the Yakuza fuck up too hard, they know they're going to have to send a couple people to jail. And everybody understands, oh, Gary's going to get picked up by the cops today, and we're just going to watch him do it. Like, we're not going to have a shootout. Because that would spark a powder keg that would fuck everything up like nobody's business. And also, we have tea with these guys like every, like once a week. We just, like, show up and, like, 
we have tea and then we go our separate ways and we have conversations and like we get a little something, the cops get a little something and everything's peaceful. And there are lots of people who would think that's pretty corrupt of the cops. But what the cops in the case of Tokyo are doing is they are keeping a like a beat on and they're keeping friendly with the Yakuza. And so the reason why they do this is they keep friendly with the Yakuza is because unlike the way that um, America portrays the mob, the Yakuza are oftentimes understood to be familial organizations who when the when shit goes sideways will like be out in the streets cleaning up the streets and helping and side by side with people and helping people because the yakuza are built up of people who couldn't find it in society so they made a home for themselves people who are immigrants of east asian descent somewhere from uh, from somewhere other than japan um keely lots of them draw their ties back to samurai who could not fit in in the in the meiji era so give you an idea of just a quick history of japan thing of like japan history when the meiji era, when the world met and you can you can understand this more actually by watching Roroni Kenshin um that show is still good even if that man is trash um it's a, I mean the guy who made Roroni Kenshin is is trash um but the 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 deal with the Meiji era was that they eliminate they made carrying katanas illegal so they essentially outlawed like being a samurai and with that for all intents and purposes meant is that samurai's way of life was primarily disrupted because they they had so much honor bound up in being the like force of justice carrying a sword on their side that if you couldn't leave that behind oftentimes you were branded a criminal and over time enough samurai were branded with tattoos sometimes many times on their forehead that tattoos were linked to criminals and criminality was linked to carrying a sword and carrying a sword was linked to the samurai and eventually the whole thing went like became a circle and became what became known as gokudo or that phrase means the the one true path and a lot of being a Yakuza has to do with honor and found family and honor among family member and honor among thieves and the things you do do and things you don't do. And like a lot of the friction in the show ends up being between, between the Yakuza groups is you're doing some real fucked bullshit that that does that does not benefit the family or the community that we kind of also serve and this is some bullshit the character who is the cat who is the stand-in for the character of the cat in the book when jake when jake asks him like do you know about this loan company he says like i do I have nothing to fucking do with those low lives. They're, they lost their they lost their way a long time ago, and that that's some evil bullshit. Like, I will deal drugs to drug addicts and make sure they have clean needles, kind of deal. Or I will give a loan to someone with yes a high interest rate, but they wouldn't be able to get a loan any other way. Uh, but I, I have my scruples. This shit I won't do. Monetizing people's suicides is the thing. So, the long and short of this show is, is it, is it a good show? It's pretty good, yeah. It's 
it does something that's pretty important in that it does not care about making you read subtitles. It does not care about like it being a bilingual show. There, you will have to read a lot of this show, which is something that they would have that a lesser show of this type would have and has avoided. I can't think of any examples off the top of my head right now, but it is aware that it is a show that takes place in a country with a language and not English, um, which is a cool thing. Um, it is also a really gorgeously produced show that captures... That captures something important about Tokyo in the 90s. It captures this kind of, like, lost country in the middle of another lost decade that's kind of fucked up, but also has quietly a lot of money in it. And, it, like, there are, there's a moment when Saito and Jake are, like, just, like, palling around, having a night out, and Saito's like, come on, let's go get a bite to eat. And they show up at the restaurant... And it's this lavishly beautiful Chinese restaurant. Um, there's a restaurant from David Chang that's like it, actually. I forget what it's called. Um, but it's like an old an old Chinese courtyard all lit up, but in a building. Um, and Jake's like, this is kind of out of my price range. I'm sorry, I don't mean to be cheapo. And he's like, don't worry about it. My treat. <laughs> and they sit down. And eventually Jake has a conversation with a big ass, with a big deal ass gangster and freaks Saito the fuck out because he like hands him the gangster, like the reporter hands, Jake hands the gangster his business card, like the business meeting, which is hilarious. And like you see the gangster's side, you see the gangster's like side girl and she's like ripping in money and it. It's this, it's this display of ill-gotten gains that is pretty impressive. And it gets that really right. And it gets the, like, it gets the cultural aspect right in a ton of ways. It also, it also gets the mood right. The, uh, and then, of course, there's the, like, racism towards the gaijin in the office that it gets perfect. Where it doesn't get it right, and where I understand why it didn't get it right, is it? It's like it decided that the story as it was was not good enough, and I understand why for for a lot of reasons. The book, the original two thousand nine book, does a lot of meandering before it gets to like the point, and it has a couple arcs before it gets to the main arc that like it's like oh. This is how Jake fucking gets got, maybe. Um, but the the show really wants you to be following this long thread constantly. The last thing I want to talk about here is the um, show's use of a scene from the book, and in the so in in the in the book. Jake's first big story is an expose on this book that's um, called, I think it's called The Perfect Guide on How to Commit Suicide. And he first, I, he first encountered this book, and they sh I think they show a copy of it. I think they went and they got a fucking copy of it off of Japanese Amazon, which is insane. Um, off of... It, to put on the table next to the guy is he shows up at a um, murder scene and it's as of a young kid and this young kid has succumbed to the pressures of being a student in Japan which is an insane amount of pressure a lot of students commit suicide because of that pressure and he has rigged himself up like a fucked up Christmas tree and set himself, turned himself into a human light bulb. I mean, he electrocuted himself to death. And he's sitting on his bed, very specifically placed, and he's got a note taped to his chest that says, please do not touch me. 
for you, you or you may be electrocuted. He's left like a courtesy note to make sure nobody else dies. And his mother called the police first thing and was like, oh, fuck. And the police were like some I think somebody from the police department had like specifically asked for him. And he asked the detective or he asked the detective asked for him. He's like, what? What the fuck? What the fuck happened to this kid? Like, how does he know? And the detective is like, it's that book. It's, and and that leads him to write this expose on this book, uh, like a like a perfect guide on how to commit suicide, uh, or or a manual on how to commit suicide successfully. I think it's some it's something around there, and he writes and in the book he explains it's like Japan's obsession with craft and perfection has spawned this like, universe of manuals on how to do things, of, of, like, manuals on living, basically, or in that case, manuals on dying. And they drop that scene in, but they also drop another scene in. And they use that, the, and both scenes, they work into the main plot. And the other scene they drop in is there's a moment when Jake is walking home and he sees a man set himself on fire. Like just light himself up like a Christmas tree. Another Christmas tree comparison. Um, but at least such at least such an impression on him and it begins this it sets up this scenario for a Society in Japan, in the form of Japan, that would not, does not miss people who go missing because um, suicide is so commonplace because of the pressures of Japanese society. Um, and in the book, it's this like horrifying, like stunning haunting image but in the show they use it as part of as, as like the beginning of the trail for Jake to latch on to and it I think this I think this show is more rewarding if you've read the book because they're clearly borrowing things from the book to serve their own purposes and I I'm obviously going to keep watching it, but I I think this show could have been written without the book's name attached to it. But I also understand that this show went through this this book went through a lot. As I mentioned the as I believe I mentioned in the beginning, it was originally optioned in it, the book came out in 2009. The book was optioned to be a movie starring Daniel Radcliffe, actually, in 2015, I believe. And then it vanished. And then the thing just... gone. Like the, I think the script treatment was done, and then it just kind of dropped off the map. It was in production hell from 2015 until now. It was revived somewhere in the middle as... A show on HBO Max called Tokyo Vice. And I just think that so many people got their hands on it. That it lost its semblance to the original source material. And I don't... I, so, here's how I'm going to tell you to treat these two things. If you're interested in Tokyo Vice, the actual story of it. Read the book or listen to the book on audio tape. Actually, audio tape is fun because Jake Adelstein is the person who narrates it, um, at least on Audible. Um, or if you're interested in just a story about investigative reporting of the Yakuza in Japan, watch the show. If you're in, if you're interested in both, I would say 
read the book and then watch the show. You will encounter the same characters, but they will be living very different lives. For the most part. Um, and on that note, if you like this podcast, this is a little bit different. This is a live, an episode on live action stuff. Um, new episodes come out every third day and Sunday, or and every other Sunday at this point. Um, the Sunday shows are more metatextual. They're more about fandom things, more about industry, more about like just like weird things in anime. I notice. Um, every once in a while, I do put out a bonus episode, like a thing I call Manga Minute, or a thing that I'm now calling a Snack Box, um, which are short little, just like bonuses that I just throw out in the ether. Um, and every Thursday, it's something more like this. Usually it's an anime or an anime movie, or in rare cases like this, it's a live action show. Um, and it's really more me talking about my thoughts on it, me slightly reviewing it, that kind of thing. So if you like the show, definitely subscribe to it. Tell your friends. You know, give give the show a good rating, like a five star rating. I, I I would like to think I'm a five star podcaster. Um, and I will talk to you on Sunday. shooting in the public place. What a relief. These are for Nipus. Great. Call tables. I tell you, Saki, it's a cabin sale. Look at the swap to the side. Say, Kako, Kari, and Tosh, the Morales. Whatever I'm not a short list. Kari, you got a hundred family and a pill. Scan I. When we sit down with them, you're gonna order a black coffee. What's this guy's rank? Yakuza. Tokagashira. Speak as little as possible. Let them do that talking. Jake Adderstein, this. Jake Adderstein, this. Hi. 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 あんたが何を調べてるかは分かってる。手を引いてもらいたい。考え。
俺たちにとっては親父と大勢あんたの記事は親父のためにはならないんだ分かったな大人しく手を引けば何もなかったことにしてやる書けばあんたの逃げ場がない<笑>その前にあんたの大事な身内に挨拶してからだお任せになるならあんな相手もいいですか、ね